So I did medical training, uh, residency, actually school and residency. Uh, it's a three-year time and a year of attending work for me at Temple University in Philadelphia. Uh, and we were the downtown hospital with the poor, poor folks. And my training happened at the time of the AIDS crisis where there was no effective antiretroviral therapy. So people were dying by scores. And so on one end of the hospital, you go to the ER and see the sickest of the sick, poorest of the poor people dying. Then on the other end of the hospital, we had the second busiest uh, transplant, uh, heart transplant unit in the nation. So you would have a cardiologist from Johns Hopkins coming to, to Temple to get his heart transplant. So you had everything. But what was common for the residents uh, was the fact that it was stressful. It was hard work. A couple of times a week, you would often be up for 36 hours straight. And the decisions, just so you know, when you go to one of those big academic medical centers, it's a resident that's taking care of you and it gets reviewed in the morning. So if you fly in on a helicopter at night, just, just know that <laughs> the expert cardiologist that you're looking for is going to see you in the morning. Anyway, the decisions that you make in the middle of the night could be subject, given depending on the personality of the attending, to sharp criticism, uh, you know, debate, and these kinds of things. And that's all part of training, but it was very, very stressful. During the week, uh, the residents would have uh, case presentations that came out of our own patients. And on one occasion, all the residents, I think about 60 uh, residents, along with the people who were interviewing to come there, so maybe 100 people, were in the room reviewing the case of a young woman who had come into the emergency department with heart failure, and she had bounced around. She was only in her mid-30s. She had bounced around to all the major universities in, in Philadelphia. You could name some of those. Some of those are associated with Ivy League institutions and whatnot. And that woman was admitted, and one of the residents had the thought to stop and say, why does this mid-30s woman have heart failure? And they looked for other causes and found out that she had an endocrine, a glandular abnormality that had really driven this whole thing. And so with a surgical procedure, she was going to be able to probably recover substantially and lead a normal life. Well, this is the case that was up for discussion. And when it was finished, one of the leading physicians, his name would be known all over the world. He was an older, more experienced physician. Uh, he stood up at the end and said, this woman had seen physicians all over Philadelphia, but our, this resident took the time to think what's going on here, just to stop and think about things. And now it's going to make a huge difference in, in this woman's life. And the whole place sort of broke out in applause. And I think it's almost an applause of, of like relief, yet we are doing something other than the, the real difficult, hard stuff that you, you really could make a difference. And so that affirmation, and that's what I really want to get to, that affirmation by uh, a senior physician of a resident and a resident's team really sort of gave energy, endurance to a whole group of people to go out and listen well with endurance in that setting. And I tell you that story uh, because I think that's what John is doing today. He, is, he has written this letter to churches that are undergoing significant adversity, hardship. There is division. There are false teachers. Apparently, there's lack of brotherly love. All those things have come up. 
And even John's inspired, the Apostle John's inspired response to them strikes us in modern day terms as sort of tough and angular. He, you know, he keeps saying, you're either in the light or in the darkness. If you don't love your brother, you're wandering around in the darkness. You know, it doesn't seem like he has any middle ground for anything. And so what he's doing in the text today, in my opinion, is that he's stopping to give this kind of affirmation, the same sort of affirmation that this senior attending gave to those residents that is going to produce both endurance and effective listening. But the difference here is that the affirmation for medical resident was based on performance. They did something. This affirmation is based on grace. It's based on what really God has done for sinners in love. So that's what we want to look at today from 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. And this is on page 14 in your worship guide. John 2, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And what we're going to take away from this text today is that if you're a believer in Christ, uh, if you know him, you can listen carefully because you are loved. Listen carefully because you are loved. So we'll look at this. He divides uh, the, the, the people who are receiving this into children, fathers, and young men. And each one is prefaced by, I write to you. Now, there are different Greek tenses here. There are different words for, for child. And you can have all the scholars like go over all this, you know, uh, ad nauseum. <clears throat> but the thing that we want to emphasize is in, in print, I think John, what he's kind of saying is, I write to you, you special group, like this resident group that I, uh, that I affirmed. I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you. And it's the equivalent orally of saying, I'm talking to you. Hey, I'm talking to you. Listen, listen carefully. I'm talking to you. And so that's where we get this concept of uh, listen carefully. And when he says, dear children, it's, it's clearly John is probably an older apostle, maybe the last one left. And he's writing to these believers, probably in a big geographic area. And he calls them his dear children. The, the form of the Greek word is a diminutive. It, it is uh, my little children, my dear children. It's, it's a, it clearly carries a sign of affection. And the dear children, I believe you can make a convincing case, is for the whole church. This is for everybody who believes from the youngest to the oldest. So he's addressing the whole church. He's saying, listen, dear children, why? Because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. Whose name? Jesus' name. He said earlier in chapter 2 that, that Jesus, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's through the name of Jesus that forgiveness of sins comes, comes to you and me if you know him, if you trust him. And we want to emphasize here, this isn't in the text, but forgiveness 
goes hand in hand when a person believes with the crediting of full righteousness to the sinner. And this is why Paul can say in his letter in Romans 4 that God justifies the ungodly. And that's why we, we recited that Westminster Confession, uh, Westminster Catechism statement about justification. It is the pardoning of all of our sins and the, the imputing or crediting to the sinner of the full obedience of Christ on his record all received by faith and by grace alone is something that you receive. So you can listen, you can listen carefully to John's difficult statements when he says you're either in the dark or in the light, you're either in the truth or you're a liar. You can take those in, you can listen to hard things because you're loved if you know Jesus. So just to ask you again, and we ask this week by week, and it's important for us to ask one another and to ask our, ourselves, am I enjoying and delighting in the gospel day by day? Are you enjoying and delighting in the gospel day by day? Because we leak. We're like buckets with holes in them. You can, you can fill yourself up with the gospel, with, with the, the truth that you're forgiven uh, that you're counted righteous, that God doesn't have reservations about you judicially, that everything's going to be good for you on Judgment Day, uh, you, you just leak that out and you tend to go back to sort of a performance-based life where my emotional standing with the Lord really is depending on how I'm doing. Am I having a good day or a bad day? And so this is just to ask you, to ask me, if we're going to listen carefully, are you believing the gospel for yourself today? even in the face of the most trenchant sins, as long as you're turning back to Jesus from those. And see, that enables you then in a posture to be able to have the Lord say things to you that, that might otherwise be difficult. Because you can take them in and know that if you, if you fail in your attempts to adhere, if you fall flat on your face, that, that you're really loved. And you see this down here is that he says, I write to you, dear children, because you've known the Father. It's not only justification, but it's also adoption. And you know, in Roman law, uh, you could disown your biological son, but you could never disown your adopted son. And I believe it was uh, J.I. Packer who said, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, that's justification, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. To rest in the Lord's fatherly care. I was talking with a friend of mine recently, and I'm going to gloss over the details so that you can't figure out who it is, but I have a friend who is working on writing Bible teaching materials that end up being published. And so the, the, that's a big deal to send off your sort of baby writing project that you did and to see if it's going to be published. And uh, he has had some success in, in getting some things published. And there's one particular Bible subject that he was really focused on, like this is going to be great. It's going to, uh, the, the publishers are going to take it and they're going to love it. I've got pictures and everything to go with it. A lot of work went into it. And when it was submitted, it was rejected for various reasons. You know, we've already done this kind of thing recently or whatever. And with all the effort that went into it, it's a really disappointing thing that, that God speaks to us in providences, doesn't he? When, when, when you submit something for publication and the person says, no, we're not going to publish it. The Lord's telling you 
that's not going to be published, at least not here, not now. And if you really put your heart in that, uh, you can, it can hurt. It does hurt. And the same thing's true with, with the Apostle John when he says to us, uh, either you're in the dark or you're in the light. Which are you in? And you go, wow, sometimes I don't love my brother all that well. You know, maybe, maybe I'm in the dark. And so what he's, what he's really calling us back to and what this person found, I can receive this no. I don't have to have this publication be an idol in my life. Um, I don't have to have the pride that is associated with all that because I'm a loved child of God. My sins are forgiven. I have a record of righteousness. My, it's not going to be on Judgment Day that I have a certain bibliography of publications that are going to get me through. It's the righteousness of Christ given to me as a gift. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a child of God. So do you see how this enables us to hear so where are you with that, and, and how is your hearing these days? Are you able to listen to the Lord both in, in providence, in the way he's arranging your life, as well as in his word? Could the Lord say to you something that would really disrupt your life? Could the Lord take you down a completely different path than you had imagined? Has, has, has listening to the word in Scripture, either in 1 John or other places uh, this past week or a couple of weeks, led you to turn in a different direction? So really here the question is, are, are you justified and adopted and able to, to, to listen to what the Lord has to say to you? And just to, to paint this a little broader Obviously, John is writing to a multi-generational group, which is us. We have people of, from all age ranges here. And here's, here's your fundamental focus of unity for our congregation, is that it's a Christ-centered place where we believe these foundational truths of being united with Christ and therefore justified and adopted all by grace through faith and we want to see other people know this and walk in the joy of it who make other disciples. Do you see how if we have that focus, we're not going to get hung up on preferences about worship. Or, or we're not going to get our feelings hurt because we couldn't use room 202 on Wednesday night or, or whatever the case may be. We're saying that there's a, there's a bigger mission going on here. And this is what I believe John's really focusing on in, in this place. So... My dear children of all ages, whole church, you can listen, you can hear the Lord because you are greatly loved in Christ. So the second thing he does, though, he turns to the fathers and he says, I write to you again, listen to me. Listen, you fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. And this is the only one he doesn't change in these parallel statements. Uh, you've known him who's from the beginning. And John's a very interesting guy, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's his personality and everything, but the Spirit's inspiring it and working through it. And, you know, sometimes John makes you, you scratch your head. But he, he says, you've known him who's from the beginning. Is he talking about the Father or the Son? I mean, usually in John 1, this is talking about the Son who was with God from the beginning, right? Uh, but... He doesn't specify so that we're, we've kind of left open. I'm going I'm to anchor down on knowing the Son 
because I think the predominance of weight goes in that direction. Who's he talking to? Well, I'm going to say you who have the first signs of gray hair. I don't know the ages and and everybody in here, but at at some point you look in the mirror and you go, oh, in my beard is there or in my temple is there. So I'm taking, I'm not going to give you an age range, right? Um, I could tell you some other signs that you're there, but I'll just leave that. (laughs) No, I'm just going to leave it. Uh, Maybe. So anyway, it goes from there. All the way through old age. Um, if you're a man, it's, you, you have hair sprouting out of your ears. I, you know, I have, there's a lot of things like that. So um, he's talking to the gray-haired folks, to the fathers. Now he says fathers, but I'm going to expand that to include uh, men and women. And he's saying, you have known Jesus. It's a perfect tense. You have known him and you know him. You've got something to contribute to the church as a whole. You have known him who is from the beginning. So just, just to, usually what happens is, is you come out of the gate when you're 20 with a burst of enthusiasm, and then somewhere along the way, through cynicism and disappointment and all kinds of things, you lose uh, your pure and simple devotion to Christ. And, and not even that you lost it, but it just grows cold. We're always fighting what Jesus said, the love of most or many will grow cold. So we're just talking to people who have sprouted or gotten a full dose of gray hair. Are you still walking in this truth that you have known him from who's from the beginning, that is Jesus, and it's still having a profound impact in your life? You see, this is a gospel, this is a gospel-centered statement. It's, a, it's, it's centered on Christ crucified and raised. Uh, someone just loaned me a book or recommended a book by a guy named Justin Early, and he has written a book called Habits of the Household, and he's talking about how you organize your household with habits around the gospel. And he told a story about vulnerability in that book that I think is appropriate for here. Uh, Justin Early, when he went off to college, he apparently grew up in a Christian home, and he veered uh, widely from that and plunged himself into all kinds of sins. So for his whole freshman year at college, uh, he was just walking around with a bad conscience and sinning. His conscience was bad for a good reason. And near the end of that year, he was really burdened by it. I mean, he was, he was very, very unhappy with the whole thing. And as he went into summer, his, his father invited him to go for a whole weekend on a business trip with him. They were going to go away to another city. And so they, they went away. And he said on the inside, he was really desiring to disclose all this to his father, to get help, to be, to be free, to bring the whole thing in the light. But, but this is really the rub, isn't it? That we want to get in the light, we want to disclose uh, and have a conversation with somebody, but we're afraid. We have shame, we have whatever, and this is where he was. And he said at a restaurant at the hotel, his father sat down with him. He'd never done it before and just recalled to his son some of his own struggles and sins of his youth and how Jesus met him in that and walked with him. And this, this conversation of vulnerability uh, led then to him being free, feeling free to disclose to his dad everything that was going on with him to, uh, to receive forgiveness from the Lord, to bring his sins into the light. And he said that was a clear breaking point from then on, his, his path 
really changed because of this, essentially confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you can be healed, that, that he disclosed and, and the Lord broke in and he was able to walk in newness of life after that. So I'm just uh, putting this out there for those of you who have sprouted or filled out some gray hair. Is the gospel still really precious to you in how Christ has delivered you from your sins? and how he's delivering you from sins even today. There is in the South, built down deep, I think, a, a big strain of moralism. When we, when we see ourselves or other people going astray, our first response is to say, you need to do this, 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 and this. And you get straightened out, and you get straightened out. Now, there's nothing wrong with structure and, and advice and wisdom about how you might walk in newness of life, but it always has to follow the gospel. So if in, in your life, and you have gray hair, you see someone wandering, will you draw near to them with your own testimony of vulnerability that Jesus has been sufficient for me and for my sins? He can be sufficient for you. He was crucified. He was raised. Believe that. Rejoice in it. Exult in it. How can I help you walk out your repentance? Oh, you need some advice? Well, sure. If you do this, it, it, it likely would help you. But you see, it's built on grace. It's all built on grace. And we want to parent that way from, from the, the bottom up, and we want to disciple that way all the way around to always approach people from this sort of gospel, what I would call a gospel foundation. And so if, you're, if you are, have gray hair, you've sprouted it, or you're, you're filling it out, or maybe it's gone, whatever, um, with whom are you meeting that's younger than you to go over these gospel truths? Who are you shepherding in vulnerability? We stand up here day, week by week and say, we're about disciples who make disciples, making disciples of Jesus as we worship, love, and serve. Is it through your small group? Is it at work? Um, is it within your family or grandchildren? As I was thinking about this, I, I tried to have a spiritual conversation with one of my grandchildren a few weeks ago. I was like, yeah, I want, to, I want my, my grandchild to remember me as talking with him about the gospel and stuff. And I said, hey, we were, we were out for a walk. Hey, are you a sinner? Do you see yourself as a sinner? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I, see, I, I do. And, and what do you think about that bird over there? You know, <laughs> it didn't really go very far. But, but the, the point isn't necessarily the outcome. But the point is that you're endeavoring to be a gospel-centered person with gray hair. And so I hope you'll take this as, a, as both a challenge and hearing. The Apostle John is saying to those of you with gray hair, you are dearly loved. You've known him who's from the beginning. And I'm following through with that with the application. What are we going to do with that? With whom am I going to share that? Let me rest in it. You don't have to take that as a legal matter. Let me start off by grace again. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches you and the people around you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's grace that teaches obedience. So that is to the folks I'm saying with gray hair, and we're going to go over one other's. He, he says, I write to you, in other words, listen to me, uh, young men 
because you have overcome the evil one, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So he's got three different things for the, for the young men there. Now, who am I counting in the young men? Uh, well, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you decide on the, on the age markers and whatnot, but let me just give you a few things to think about that are really encouraging. Uh, the peak performance time of a baseball player is 28 years old. So it's really hard. You have the blink of an eye to decide when a 90, well, 100 mile an hour fastball is released 60 feet and six inches from you. You have that long, one blink to decide. Actually, it's by you by then. You got to decide half a blink whether you're going to take a cut at it or not. So it requires really good vision and really good hand-eye coordination and lots and lots of practice. In my mind, the hardest thing to do is to, to hit a baseball, I, I think, in, at least in sports. Anyway, after 28, your wins against replacement are going downhill. You're not, you're not what you were when you were 25. Now, it doesn't happen all of a, all of a sudden. Albert Pujols is still around, but he, he's not what he was when he was 28. Just a few others, since this is such an encouraging line of thought. Uh, after you're 35, the uh, presbyopia begins. So all of us Presbyterians, woohoo, yeah. Presbyopia is when you can't see things up close. You've got to buy those uh, Dollar Tree glasses for a dollar that, that break when you sit on them and you have like 10 pairs around your house. So that starts usually around 35 and after. And um, just uh, to keep going on this a little bit more, um, your, peak, uh, your peak cognitive ability for information processing is at 18 years old. I'm not going to say anything more about the cognitive stuff. It might bring everything I'm saying into like, you know, <laughs> why should we trust him? He's all confused. <laughs> so what's going to happen then, I'm going to make it 15 to 25 since, since baseball players start to go at 28. What are you going to do, those of you who are 15 or coming up on 15 to 25, what are you going to do with your strength? This is young men who are strong, does the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, live in you? That's what he says. You can, you can use those years of strength if it is about Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word of God dwells in you and you yield to and walk with the word of God, Jesus Christ, and you listen to his, his word spoken through the scriptures to you. And if you're in Christ, you have triumphed over the evil one. You understand that you're in a kingdom of conflict. And we Americans just don't get this. We just go to sleep on this all the time. Because, you know, you love to hear that there are witch doctors in my village in Africa or whatnot. And you're not seeing people de be devoured by materialism. is just as a satanic move as having a witch doctor, Right? So this is good news. You are loved in your strength. Recognize that it doesn't last forever. Be united to Jesus. Walk in union with him. And say to yourself, I am an ambassador of Christ. And the evil one cannot stand against the ministry of the gospel in us, against the church, or even in me. I'm not afraid because I've already overcome, because I've been joined to Christ. 
and to sort of take seriously a little bit uh, spiritual warfare in that way. So there's all kinds of applications to this, and I don't want to be, you're all here and everything, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I do think we have to say that in young families, as your children get big enough to kick a soccer ball, is the religion and investment of your family going to be in the Word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one, or are you going to have the religion of sports? Now, I'm not making any definitions of, of proportions or anything like that, but it certainly includes being at worship on, with the people of God on Sunday. You know, if you were to divide up your time and attention that you spend with your kids, are you investing in them knowing the Word who lives in you, making sure the Word lives in them, Jesus Christ, and fighting against the evil one? Or are you just going to be swept along by the culture? And we could add a lot of things to that, but I think it's important for us just to say that out loud um, on a Sunday morning. So here's what we have today. This is a good news passage. And I'm not sure I always communicate things as good news, but it really is a good news passage. It, it is, you can listen, you can hear God both in providence and his word, and you can change because you're loved. Because if you're in Christ, you're justified and adopted because you've known him who's from the beginning and because you've overcome the evil one in Christ. And you have this good news then to pass on to other people. And so this is a challenge for us is do, do I really believe this? Has a new epoch, a new era of living broken into my life? There was the area of death, dying, sin, judgment, but Christ was crucified and he was raised from the dead. So now that I trust in him, I've moved from the land of the dying into the land of the living and the overcomers. That's where I live now. And so all my struggle, all my fight that goes on, everything I'm doing comes as a person who's justified, adopted, empowered in union with Christ, knowing him in life. So brothers and sisters, let us take that good news out to the streets. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come to you now and we would ask you to write these things in us and, and on our hearts. We, we pray that it would be like a, a real drink of cold water uh, to the souls of those who are tired. And Lord, would you stir us up to, to walk these things out in a way that brings you honor and glory on the earth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.